Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Fighting on Film, the podcast about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to cover it. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourers Bench. I'm Robbie of RA Military History. Welcome to another episode of Fighting on Film. Today we're taking a very special look at the 1992 after winning movie and ungentlemanly act we welcome some very special guests from the production writer director Stuart Urban and two renowned actors Hugh Ross and Ian McNeese gentlemen we're delighted to have you here thanks for asking it's it's incredible to have to be watching a film and then to be talking to the director and uh, some actors from it it's it's a it's an absolute treat especially 28 years later that's I'm very grateful for this for this attention you know film that's that old you know we're uh, I mean, I, me and I, Matt was two, and I wasn't even born when it came out. <laughs> <so similar. Yeah. laughs> wow. Well, that says something, doesn't it? Goodness me. No need to remind us how old we actually are, quite frankly. No, yeah. of course not. No. <laughs> um, so the, the plot of the film, uh, it's the first 36 hours of the, of the Falklands War. Um, and it, it just follows the, the experiences of, of Sir Rex and, and his his team 
and the Royal Marines and the, and the FDIF um, members that were there on the on that fateful day. Um, so, I mean, is there any for leading off? Is there anything that Stuart? You know, I, I know you were writing it in the uh, in the early eighties. Um, is there anything that you sort of did? It, anything spark you off for wanting to write a Falklands War film? Okay, I'll just give you a potted history of how I came to. I mean, basically, at the time of the actual war in '82, uh, I, I was very uh, well. I was obviously upset about it, but I mean, I had all kinds of contradictory feelings because I knew people in the army, uh, one of whom was later injured, badly injured on the Galahad, survived that the burning, and then got killed in a car crash, which is pretty upsetting. Wow. Uh, then I had relatives in Buenos Aires. Um, older relatives, distant, but I mean, they were real family. I had seen them and met them. And um, I had my brother who would have got, if the tank regiment had gone, luckily the, the ground was too boggy and, you know, what the Falklands are like. But if the fourth tank regiment had gone, RTR, then my brother would have gone as a reservist. Um, and that would have been, you know, also pretty nerve wracking. So um, those are the reasons I got interested. I then I wrote a script for a company that at that point it was very big in British cinema. Uh, Canon owned a lot of the cinemas about uh, three para um, kind of also not less strictly fact-based, but yeah. it, it was about, uh, uh, you know, what the soldiers ended up doing and what they felt about the war. And then uh, that was too big a budget and it didn't get made. But at the same time, I, I thought, wow, the siege of government house, what an incredible story. Um, I love siege films, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Those, yes. Those, of course, uh, another big siege this week of a government building um, last <laughs> week, which some of the going to be a lot of films about that. Uh, uh, and um, and I thought, well, let's try and make this. It's much lower budget. The Canon films weren't interested, but a few years later, as how I got it made, when the BBC uh, uh, got interested, it's it's one of a handful of films that actually are about the Falklands War. There's, I mean, there's remarkably few made by both sides, really, isn't there? Yeah, yeah question i had Stuart, was there's a film that was meant to lewis collins signed on to do a falklands war film but it never got made i, I wondered while i was researching doing this episode was that the film that your script was no no mine was uh it was going to be uh we were going to shoot it this is 87 when it was going right, to be okay 86 and um you know i'd met several of these people from three para had amazing stories like i suppose that what they were hoping for was a british platoon i mean that's a bit what it was like and um we didn't we didn't get to casting we had got into pre-production some pre-pre-production and then they went bust you know the day i delivered the first draft they, they defaulted on their banking payments oh, yeah. um, which is you know the typical woes of a filmmaker would have been my first feature and um you know that that so no and then the other film i mean basically yeah there have been some various films there was once a couple of aborted and then now another one's supposed to be happening there was one meant to be about the one of the ships, one of the Type 42s, um, uh, and that was, it was about to be going, and that got cancelled. Mm. Obviously, there were a few that, of course, have been made. Um, and uh, Yeah, like Tumble Down, things like that. Yes, mostly yeah. television films, and then some that touched. Which you know the guy from that, don't you? Uh, Robert Lawrence, I was at his wedding. Yes, yes. I was at his wedding. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, That's a powerful film. That's, yeah, it is. Amazing yeah. chap, Robert. You know, I mean, I don't know how he's doing now. Obviously, it was such a serious injury. I mean, mm. he, he battled, you know, I wish him well. I, when you've survived what he had, it obviously affects your life forever. 
as a disability. But uh, no, it was, it was obviously a very good film. Yeah. Hugh, um, you played um, Major Gary Newt and um, Ian, you played uh, Dick Baker. It, um, Rex is, I think he's like secretary or aide, something like that, I think. Something like yeah. that, yes, it's sort of his, his right hand. Yeah, man, sort of chief yeah. of staff, really, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it was. Yes, absolutely. How was it? Um, what was it like taking a, a role um, and then learning that you had to go to the Falklands for it? I mean, I, I always I wondered what was that? What was that like? What was the experience of that? Uh, I, I don't know. It was an adventure and just something that so out of the bloom came from nowhere. And it, it, well, it, was, it, it was very exciting. And yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yes, you just never know the night of what's going to come around the corners. Perhaps. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You remember. <laughs> yes, I was very lucky because I'd worked with Bob Peck before um, on The Edge of Darkness. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so we we knew each other from that. And I'd actually worked with the RSC with him for about two or three years beforehand. So I knew him very well. I actually shared a house with him. So I was thrilled to be working with him again. So, so thrilled about that, but also absolutely excited about going somewhere like the Falklands, where that this is the great thing about our job is it takes us to places that we would never normally go to ourselves. Definitely. So to actually get a chance to do that is very exciting. And to work on something like this was extraordinary. And um, uh, I look back on it very fondly. I actually asked Stuart if he had a, um, a copy that I could see because I hadn't seen it in years. Uh, and uh, And so I... I watched it, um, he, he gave me a link. And what I was amazed by, the amount of wonderfully strong actors that he put together for the yeah. show. I mean, it really contains some terrific people in there, yes. some great performances. So I was very glad to be part of it, quite frankly. And also you turn up to a place like that and it's a little, it's a little haven of England. It's extraordinary, you go all that way and you'd turn up at the white picket fences and, and, and you, you, you could be in Surrey. It's extraordinary. In the 1950s. Surrey, that place. Uh, I mean, it was bleak too, because there was only one pub in the whole of the island. So we didn't have much sort of entertainment apart from karaoke, which everybody got involved with. And the rap party was karaoke as well. So it was quite a, a fascinating point from that. These people all put together on this little strange place for a short time. What did the Islanders make of, of, of you guys and the production? There were spe special names, weren't there? That yes. That I remember. They were called, or we were called, who was called? The they were Bennies, the army. We were Bennies, called them right. Bennies, so we sort of, I mean, or some of us, I don't think I actually would ever have said that, but I mean, maybe I did. Um, but uh, yeah, Bennies was the army term for them, or military term. And then we were, and then the Bohemians like us, uh, when I what was it when I was or I think it's the when I was when I was on you know in that's yeah, right. Hamlet. yes yes yeah. yes when I was on <laughs> the red right, carpet of, when I, that's exactly right because because bless him Ian Richardson who, who who regaled us constantly with stories of his work at the RSC forever I, I remember on a wonderful trip that we had to Seal Island to see CB Seals was constantly being told really about versions of Coriolanus or whatever, you know, as we're looking at the seals, he couldn't, he couldn't bother with any of that, just what, when I, when I, when I, so that's what, what we, <laughs> when, I, when, when I, I, when I, that's yeah, right. when I, when I, that's right, that's fantastic, so that's it. I mean, I mean, Ian Richardson, I mean, he's, you know, eternally remembered for House of Cards, um, 
you know, and, and, and its sequels. Um, was was he your first? He, I, I understand Ian Holm was first choice for Rex Stewart. Um, is yeah, there any Ian Holm? You know, another great actor was um, much more of a physical resemblance and uh, much more like the you know in in his um, off screen persona and his manner would be more like Rex Hunt actually was, um, and and. Uh, Ian, sadly, at the last minute and nearly brought down the production, uh, backed out. Um, and that's when Ian Richardson replaced Ian Home and wasn't who I thought of as the part because I didn't want such necessarily a sort of upper class mm. patrician approach. But it turned out to be great. And, you know, he got, I think he was BAFTA nominated. Uh, yes, I think he was, yes. Mm. Ian McNeese was uh, Royal Television Society nominated. I believe. Is that right, Ian? It was until I found out it was a complete lie, which was unfortunate because I'd always wanted that. <laughs> no, I think, was, I think they got it wrong. It, it, it was extraordinary because it appeared on my CV for quite some time and then it was taken off eventually because I think it went with it meant Ian Richardson instead of me. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, oh, like when I, when I, that's like when I made another film that was invited to Sundance and then disinvited after I got all the calls from Hollywood agents. Oh, no. Hey, we want to represent you. And and I got, great, you know, it's in. And then, oh, then I was told that. it wasn't in. Oh, you've got the part and then... Six months later, the movie's come out, and you're not you're not in it, and you're like, "What? Well, hang on!" <laughs> he said, "I have the part," <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's just an incredible cast. You know, Bob Peck, it's, he's in, incredible in it, and you know, there's Major Mike Mike Norman. He's Major Mike spot Norman. on, isn't he? Really? Yeah, and and Ian, you know, like the the comedic beats of your character. I mean, I just, I think you know, I think you're one of the. I, I'll I'll mention it later, but there's a part of the movie, and I think you just look so cool in it. Um, but and, and Hugh with your with your Sterling, I mean it's oh it's it's an absolute it's a great film and I'm I'm surprised it's not well more well thought of now. I mean I I, I really hope that. Well, I think hopefully with your interest and with the other interest that's going on, I'm sure that Stuart now wants to get it on Britbox like crazy, don't you? That's what we want to go for. Yeah, it, yeah? yeah. I mean it's just it is amazing that it's not on. You know, I think it's yeah. part of the fact that people they 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 want always series. You know, so that's why our friends in the north is on the day. I directed some of them. I just saw that again recently. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. Thank you. I mean, they, they always want series. And in fact, the single film, you know, movie, whatever you want to call it, play, they were calling it at times. Well, I mean, you know, was a great part of British television drama and, and is still, yeah. uh, they made some great ones, uh, you know, BBC and ITV, mostly BBC. And, mm -hmm. uh, but I think, it, you know, I think, I think it, it will come on, you know, and, and you know, we very nearly got it re-released uh, on DVD and, and some cinema showings a few years ago, but the BBC were just asking for too high a price. Was it to do with music? Was that what you were talking about the other day too? Or no, that, that was the first release. Right. At the time of the film in 92, they were just beginning to do things like Miramax releasing British films, uh, BBC films, and um, they couldn't do it. Uh, whoever it was that we had interested, it wasn't Miramax um because i uh i remember telling harvey weinstein what i directed and he turned away as i told him <laughs> he obviously wasn't very interested um but um it was another company and they couldn't clear it because there wasn't the right music rights but this is a separate issue now you know whatever happens with the film it has to they have to clear all the music the actors the rights um and the, the music was a big feature but i, I I don't know. I might have to replace some tracks, but that, that won't be a problem, you know, if I have to do that. 
Yeah, some of the radio station scenes are, you know, key to the narrative of the film, but also the uh, Mike Mike's performance. Mike, is it Mike Grady that was yes. uh, that Patrick Watts, and he, he did such a good job of portraying what was going on to the mm. to the uh, the townspeople in Stanley, and then and I think it's uncanny. You, you listen to the original recording, and then you you, you watch it in the movie, and mm. I love the way that you've used that because. I, I was watching it again the other night and and I was like, hang on, there's no non-diegetic sound, but hardly any. It's it's the radio or or the sound of the wind and things like that. And I was like, hang on, we're we're meant to be there with everybody because it's such a close knit community. I felt that we were meant to feel like we might have been a a member of the FDIF or a, a Royal Marine member in the rooms with everybody, and and we were hearing what everyone else was hearing. And I I think that's such a a great part of the movie. Yes, thank you. Well, you know, the sound was, I did think of it that way. Um, we had very good sound designers who later I think went on to certainly BAFTAs, if not Oscars, that Hackenbacker, who did all the gun sounds and everything else. And 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 yeah, well, great sound recordist uh, and mixer, uh, you know, post-production mixer. Um, but that was all deliberate. And also deliberate, the only composed music was at the very end. Uh, on the in other words the main story had finished the epilogue was they return you know yeah over the montage 100 days later whatever it was uh, with the task force and um so that, that that was all music that was played on the night in terms of production uh what i wanted to ask you Stuart, was were there any films that you felt a strong inspiration from, or you know, you you played homage to in in you know in the actual film itself? Because you know we have like nods towards Zulu, and there's mentions of fuzzy wuzzies coming over the lawn. You know, there's these kind of as you mentioned uh, a little earlier, um, siege films, and you know that kind of mentality. Yes, uh, well, I, I was particularly influenced by the Ealing films, and um, yeah, of course, the comedy aspect, yeah. You know, we were actually shooting at Ealing Studios, which was a wonderful oh, wow. privilege to be there on those stages where, where we did the interiors, some of the interiors. And um, we, uh, so I was definitely thinking of the Ealing comedies. Um, and I was thinking of Powell and Pressburger, who were a great influence on me. And they're trying to achieve that uh, high saturation colour look, which we were very lucky with the weather. It had a lot of sun, a lot of the mm. red, white and blue, if you notice, you know, the couches and things, you know, that, that that was very much on a very low budget. I and mean, obviously I would have designed it more closely if I could have to have had a completely saturated colour look like uh, Paolo, you know, Colonel Blimp, you know, Paolo and Presley. Yeah, yeah. If I'd been allowed, I would have shot it uh, widescreen. At that point, we did 16 by 9, but then they put a, a kind of pillar box on it for transmission. Now, if we revive it, it'll be shown as it was originally shot. Mm. Uh, 16 by 9 which would be really something yeah was that time widescreen i don't mean scope you know that that wasn't allowed then but we could have showed it 16 by 9 and those yeah, those were key films and uh you know uh certainly british comedy and and also the more you know the more serious films that of pound pressburger and zulu obviously was an influence a factor that's a british colonial story yeah project, you know um and um, I think those were the main influences, really. Um, so what what was the uh, the catalyst for moving towards that sort of Ealing comedy uh, sort of like tone? 
Was it the fact that the the, the invasion itself was kind of surreal and, you know, that it Correct. happened on the, the first place, of April? The place and... is surreal, you know, as Hugh and Ian will testify, we're walking around, you know, bug-eyed at some of this surreal details, such as, you know, the police station yeah. with its one cell. Um, uh, the the places had these inc- this incredible surreal charm of being like sort of 1950s England in a, in a microcosm. Um, and uh, you, I mean, and then of course the general absurdity of it, like uh, the Argentinian writer Borges said, it was it was like two bald men fighting over a comb the whole war. You know, it was in itself this <laughs> outcrop of rock, you know, yeah. uh, and sheep and grass. You know, I mean, it was mad. That, so that's what I was trying to capture that it was itself a surreal event. Um, uh, you know, what, what are we fighting for? Was of course a key, yeah, I know. a key question. Not not to say that... was it was it actually the water around the surrounding water that contained special fish for abroad and stuff like that. Was that what they were after eventually, or what? Well, or oil? Even I mean, obviously the oil, uh, 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 the, the the oil and gas prospects and the squid fishing became very important after right. the war, really. You know. After the war, yeah. Honestly, okay. Before then, although they knew there were deposits, I really don't think it was a motive of the Argentine government, nor indeed the British government in its kind of on-off defence of the position on the mm. islands. Um, I honestly think it was about sovereign... national pride. Yeah, uh, national pride. You know, mm. Um, mm. factors that became, of course, very big later in 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 things like Brexit. You know, which I. Um, I, I think that it was national pride. Certainly, the Argentinian people felt the island was theirs, and they have they have a reasonable claim to it, the islands. But of course, the the junta, the military dictators, were using it as an ideal distraction from their problems. Yeah. And Thatcher, you know, I would I would say equally was uh, was you know knew that the chips were. I mean, basically, she was finished if she didn't cover up the mistakes of the fact they'd allowed the endurance was going to be run down the whole yeah yeah of had been run down and and signals given to the argentinians they wanted to part with the sovereignty so so, so i think everyone went into motives that the poor people portrayed in the film ended up picking up the can for you know but i i you know i i tried to be neutral in the sense that you can't really be neutral as a mm. Filmmaker or but I tried to stick down the line of look. I just want to present these incredible facts that were presented to me yeah. without being biased, if possible. And I can tell you, there you are know, people. Apparently, you know, there were people I heard from people in government and conservatives party loved the film. You know, which I was really surprised about. But I mean, I, I, because I, I, I knew what I felt about the war, but I didn't want to say. I just wanted to present it more as a surreal. Um, extraordinary experience and, and situation and here were the characters involved in it you know i mean mm. to me it to me when it starts it feels almost like it could be a start of a sitcom based on the falklands you know you've got, you've got the the town and you've got that lovely sweeping shot of the i think it's like the high not the high street tracking shot oh yeah, the yeah that's it yeah and then it it develops into this sort of ramping tension almost thriller like sort of are they going to invade or they're not and then you get your war movie and I think that the change in tone is very subtle. And I don't think many films get it right from sort of, and keep the comedy aspect as well, because there's lines in it, which are, I mean, I'm, I always laugh, you know, when when the, 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 the Argentine commando has been shot in the, in the courtyard there, 
and um, Bob Pett goes, anyone speak Spanish? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, fucking marvellous. You know, I love that line. Yeah. It's such, it's so true. You know, I assume like, yes, a commander would be like, come on, any of you lads speak Spanish? Come on. You know, it really is, it's true to life. I think this it's the script really that, that is, is just. I, I love, I love Hugh's first line where he's, your character hasn't even really been introduced yet, Hugh, and, and you say, um, these boys have done just as many Ulsters as yeah. yours, because obviously it's, it's Naval Party 8901. And they had twice as many men as they were going to have because the two parties were there, you know, they, they were being relieved. Major Newt's men had been there a year and they were going to go home. And, you know, they, they're all a little bit, um, there's another great line where you go, um, it's a little bit end of term here, uh, where you explain to um, Bob Peck as, as Major Norman that, you know, um, we, we've got a little bit lax because we're, you know, we're, we're expecting to go home, you know. So there's so many great lines. What was it like, um, actually, you know, those scenes with with Bob Peck? Because both of your performances, you come off each other really well in those. I just it was a great actor and wonderful to kind of res- listen and respond to. I mean, that's what acting really, when it works, is when you um, mm. relate very well. Um, uh, yeah, it was... All sorts of things were fascinating. We were talking last week about the thing of Gary Newt's um, uh, slight uh, crash on on the Lady of the Island, um, and they, they had a bit of a kind of free song, but we weren't allowed to kind of be more than kind of do that with a few looks and winks. Yes, a subtle, yeah. subtle nod. Stuart, would you talk about that moment where you ask Bob to do something uh, like when you do a true story um, as a film, which I've done quite a few you know, um, involving, well, I mean, everything from amusing events to horrible murders. Um, you know, you have obviously actors who, who are under pressure because mm. they want to yeah. be themselves, but they to, to bring a part to life in a good way uh, and a truthful way. And sometimes you have the real people there and, and it can be a problem, you know, uh, like, and you have to ask the actor what they want because you know, for example, Ian Richardson felt that he didn't want to have Rex Hunt hanging around or as a sort of general advisor, which is fair enough. And Rex Hunt did come to set one day in Ealing uh, to meet um, uh, Ian and the crew and me. And I had already met Rex and Mavis, obviously. Um, but Bob was very happy to have, in fact, asked for Mike Norman. Very happy that I wanted Mike Norman, the real character he was portraying, to be our advisor and to be on set. And so Bob is, was, uh, sadly, was a, a wonderful person, and but, but a very exacting actor. So if you if you had, as a director, not blocked the scene right or worked at, you know, worked at what was best for the actor and the camera, the actors and the camera, uh, at one point I said, so at this point, Bob, and we were rushing against the clock as always. Um, so at this point, Bob, if you can go over there and just get ready for to, it was in the kitchen i think seeing the kitchen where it's going to dash in a certain direction then look up at where are the attackers in the garden um he said oh i don't think my character i don't think i would do that and I, the, ca- the camera was all set up for oh, the fuck what are we going to do i went around the corner where mike norman was having a co- you know right a catering conference mike you know can you help me out here and um he thinks he wouldn't have gone left would you have gone left he said well I think I would have actually, or I might have. I said, well, will you go here and tell him that? So he went and told Bob, and then Bob went and did the takes. Oh, great, okay, that's what I'm going to do, he said. You know. <laughs> it was a bit, a bit, I was a bit uh, crafty about it, but 
I don't remember much about the catering that we had. Um, do you remember, Ian? <laughs> I always remember the catering, yes. <laughs> well, what was it like? I can't it remember. It was appalling, but, but you know <laughs> what? The, I mean, what the hell? We weren't there for the food, quite frankly. No, no, no. In the Falklands, obviously, everything was very quite difficult. We had to bring in our generator. It was a Land Rover brought oh, wow. on the on the uh, TriStar, or maybe it probably came yeah. in with a Hercules. I can't remember uh, what it came in on, the, the Land Rover. But, you know, it was very basic, uh, the catering and everything else. But Ealing, you know, at the studios, we had the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the good old yeah. canteen and stuff. So it was a lot. How long were you guys on the island for? I think it was about two and a half weeks or something like that. Yeah. Yes. It was about, yeah, 17, 18 days. I do remember thinking, you know, because we weren't called every day. That there are obviously uh, days when we weren't filming at all. And I remember waking up on those days and thinking the days stretching ahead like a mudflat because there was nothing, <laughs> nothing to do. But Ian, um, we went in the wonderful rambles. Yes, yes. You and yes, I. Yes, yes. We did. We did when I could walk. To the minefields. The days when I could walk, absolutely. <laughs> We were always worried, yeah, that one would be blown up. Stuart, you shared your production diary with us, and there's a section where you mentioned that you you portrayed a penguin. Yeah. Is that right? Did that make it into the film? Yeah, yeah. I watched it last night, and I, I thought it was the part where the um, the guys are, like, dug in on the beach. Correct. It's and the they night. stand to, and there's a penguin that sort of, like, waddles off. And apparently that was you. Yes. Uh, I mean, everyone said, you're fucking mad, you know. <laughs> I swear on this, but because uh, basically it's we waited all, right. all these hours for the penguins to perform, and having been so friendly and hung around us, smelly though they were, uh, they, they of course as soon as you point a camera at them, they run away. Um, and uh, so, so I thought, look, it's day for night. What if we undercrank it, which is run it too fast, and and because this huge tussock grass on the beaches. Uh, was so enormous that it came up to my chest, I think, or around there. So I just waddled in a, in a black puffer jacket and a white, I had a white scarf anyway, my white uh, wool scarf and, and a black mm. uh, baseball cap. And that's how I waddled down as the penguin. And, and it, no, one ever, <laughs> no one ever guessed that it wasn't a penguin. So you're not only credited really as uh, an Argentine commando officer, that you're also penguin number one as well. Yeah. What I also wanted to ask you, Stuart, was about the actual research you did in, into sort of like the the invasion itself, because from all the accounts that I've read, it's actually you know a very close representation of what happened, um, right down to the you know you even have like a radio message about the APCs being engaged that were coming up to towards. Uh, Stanley and obviously that would have been extremely difficult to sort of portray um, but you even get those little mentions and nuances in so what lengths did you actually go to for the, the well, research? It, all the film as far as possible you know unlike let's say you know I mean obviously Peter Morgan an immensely successful uh, writer and showrunner has, has created this whole phenomenon of semi or partially or even one quarter true drama uh, but I, I, I prefer to I think the more challenging route is to do, stick as close to the truth as possible. And um, mm. in this case, it was actually a gift, you know. So what, what I had there were interviews with a lot of the actual people portrayed, uh, including the Argentine side. I got to meet Hector Gilbert, the spy in Buenos Aires, Commander Bussa, you know, wow. the one who gives his hand. Yeah. Uh, I met all these people. I, uh, good, I met, must have met, met half the people I portrayed at least. So I had their versions of it, you know, some I couldn't get to meet. Uh, But um, 
uh, in general, it was based on their accounts, uh, uh, military and other primary sources, things like uh, people ringing me up and offering facts. Um, mm. uh, we uh, had uh, all these all these people were were my sources um and um so so obviously i couldn't recreate or didn't know all the actual dialogue but a lot of the lines were exactly what they said um of course governor hunt had told me about that whole exchange and yeah and gentlemanly act came from that and uh uh you know and and some of the crazier funniest most all the funnier stuff if you find it funny, wasn't because I thought of it, it's because it was what was told to me that that's what happened, you know? So one of, one of my favourite scenes um, uh, with Bob Peck is his drill hall speech. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an incredible uh, scene. I mean, I, I've got an extract from it, if, if you wouldn't mind if I could read a little bit of it. Mm. Um, now, I haven't bullshit you about the odds. We'll fight until the governor throws in the towel or until we're overrun, which probably means dying. I want you to face that, death. Think about what it means now, and when the firing starts, forget it. You are the Green Berets, the Royals. That means you will knock seven shades of excrement out of them before you go down. To me, that scene, it echoes, there's a film from 1946 called Days is the Glory, and it's about the um, Operation Market Garden. And there's a scene where um, there's a, a lot of paras in uh, Oosterbeek Church, and they were read out a speech by Lonsdale, their commander, and he said, we are facing troops, um, like we're facing good troops, but not as good as us. Um, shoot to kill sort of thing. And it's just a rousing speech. Um, and it really reminds me of that sequence. Um, yeah. It's very true to life. And I, is, that, did, is that what he actually said? Do you, or was it? I mean, I did speak to Mike about it and, uh, and I'd heard from some of the Marines and, uh, about it. I interviewed some of those Marines at Portrayed. Um, and that's basically, I believe, more or less what he said, you know, and a few more expletives. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah. So what, what was it like being, um, being in that script. scene here? He read the script. So, yeah, of course. So exactly. he would have checked it. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, no, I'm just trying to remember. No, I just remember being uh, very impressed by Bob in the scene and, 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 the, and the speech, actually. Um, yeah. Mm. Tis, yes, I don't remember. It is a long time ago. It's very rousing stuff, isn't it? And of course, your character, you know, Hugh, I mean, he was in an incredibly difficult position. Yes, um, he was. And, on the way out and everything. Yeah. And we wonder in the story if perhaps he ceded command. I mean, obviously, technically, Norman was the commander, but, you know, didn't know the territory, didn't know what to do, really. So so in the end, they were a good double act. Um uh, but uh, it must have been an incredibly emotionally difficult experience mm. for Newt because Norman arrived there raw, you know, ready, but, you know, a complete novice, and therefore he hadn't put down uh, those kind of roots or att emotional attachments which Newt had, you know. So Newt was in a very invidious position and, of course, redeemed himself, you know, when he captured those Argentinians inside. Yeah. Turning submachine gun. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant scene. I think that might bring us to the alley tally. I think that's a good that, idea. Do you think? Oh, good. I think yeah. so. Yeah.
Hugh, why didn't you go first, Hugh? That's, this is where my sterling submachine gun comes in, is it? It is. We hope so. Every, 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 every young actor of every schoolboy dreams of doing something like that. You know, it's kind of like your, your absolute fantasy to feel like you're... And, uh, yeah, so it was very... <laughs> there is pure joy on your face at the end of that scene, though. You can see it. Yeah, yeah, good. Like you have you have the broadest smile imaginable. You you definitely did yeah. enjoy it. We could yeah. I could tell when I watched it yesterday. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. that that actually happened. Um, Major Newt did fire his his sterling into the ceiling. But one of the accounts that I read when I was doing research um, was that he actually when he fired first, he had his sterling set on semi-automatic, so he only fired one round. He, he was expecting to put a a burst into the ceiling, but they, he only put one round in, and then he quickly realised, flicked it onto full automatic, and and carried on his burst. So that that was one of the that one of the, uh, oh. the more interesting things I found when I was researching the Sterling. Um, but have, have you have you ever met um, Major Newt, or have you heard from him? I wonder what he thought of that no, I didn't scene because no, I, no, I haven't. Yes, and I wonder what he thought of it all, actually, Stuart. Well, no. from memory, uh, we did ask uh, Gary Newt to contribute or take part, and he was one of those people mm. who just said, OK, no, thanks, I, or didn't come back to us. Uh, I think he felt the whole was so, uh, you know, I suppose upsetting, or I, I don't know what it was, but he he didn't come back to us. But, you know, he, he emerges well in the film. I just sense him as being rather modest and quite retiring, yeah. Yes. I, th- I yeah. think your portrayal of him is quite yeah. interesting. Sort yeah. of like hit the scenes with him and Norman, they kind of have like a, a, a charred Bromhead sort of Zulu feel almost, you know, the yeah, interplay. Yeah. That might, might have, I mean, that might be partly what I, I mean, because Norman reminded me so much of, I was telling somebody at school being in the combined mm. cadet force, the CCF, and Mike Norman reminded me um, in my memory somewhere of being rather intimidated by by the, the powerful executives in the CTF, mm-hmm. you know, the commander and all that kind of stuff. Although I did end up being a W02 in the end. Yeah. But um, well, wow. it, it was um, it was kind of and uh, I, I was I was and, and also we we had very arduous training with Mike, which I was uh, a bit uh, terrified of. <laughs> <but> it was, <laughs> That yeah, I didn't do it. Um, it, but it was all extremely good for us, of course. But um, uh, yeah, so maybe that sort of fed into into the into the relationships, perhaps subliminally, somewhere along the line. My my. Um... So you you'd already you'd already had experience with the Sterling then, through your combined cadet force days. I don't remember much having a Sterling in the combined cadet force, but um, no, I mean, I, yes, of all that drill yeah. and all that kind of stuff, I remember very well, and. Uh, we went on one, something once called an arduous training course on the Isle of Arran, wow. I remember, which slightly reminded me of... I of bet the it did, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Falkland slightly reminded me of the Isle of Arran. Um, yeah, so there's lots of recall going on in a funny way. Yeah. No, it's a great scene. I love that scene. It's, it's fantastic. It's really yeah, good. It's, it's just, it's sort of, um, it punctuates that tense sort of uh, segment where they're negotiating, you know, the, the ceasefire, etc. you know, it's yeah. just... And it didn't. It did in the actual battle itself. That sort of that happened during the ceasefire because mm. they had them rummaging around in the in the loft. So I'll tell you something funny. That the consequence. I mean, were you were you there when we shot the uh, Argentinians' reactions to to your firing upstairs? I.e., in a, no, I don't think I was. Well, we had these chaps along who were um, actually Venezuelan. I remember, uh, <laughs> and uh, playing the Argentinians, and we kept giving them a cue, you know, to react to the gunfire. 
mm-hmm. and uh, they just were shit. <laughs> they just didn't react. <laughs> so in these days before health and safety, uh, I, I obtained this said Sterling machine gun. And I said to the armourer, when I give you the cue, let off a burst behind their heads. You know? And they <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like Jack oh, in the marvelous. boxes, because that was a real reaction, you know. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, you could never do that now. I mean, obviously, it was a safe distance, not like the the rounds were going to hit them. No, in no. The, yeah. They were behind a screen, you know. Matt's dream job, that, wouldn't it, Matt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stu, uh, alley tally pick. Well, I, 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 I would bring, uh, since we're on the subject of machine guns, I, I would, my, my love-hate relationship was with my own, uh, playing in this tiny role of the commando because we didn't have enough, enough people who could speak Spanish, you know, playing Argentinians on the island. Uh, I was playing a commando and hadn't done the military <laughs> training because there wasn't time. Um, that was my excuse, uh, unlike a lot of the cast. And I therefore had forgotten in this w- terrible Falklands wind squall and rainstorm and shooting up on the ridge above Government House that I hadn't got the uh, safety catch on. And I slipped on the rock and let uh, around into the face of my cameraman. And I thought I'd blinded him uh, the blank round, which, you know, of course, can harm people with metal. I was very lucky it didn't happen. Um, but it, it was it really felt like you were in the role when mm. you were looking down at government house and they were firing all these thousands of rounds were fired in that in that battle by the way in the fake battle mm. um and uh and then my other favorite would be the maroon taxi because it epitomizes the governor drove was driven around this maroon taxi uh with his <laughs> complete with this you know uh, bad falkland islands flag on and that was his his limousine <laughs> it was just such a comical and silly uh and yet sweet um embodiment really of of britain in that place and the whole absurdity of the war and the fact it was maroon color uh was to me you know so those are my two bits of kit that i would put forward was that the same taxi that he used that we used in the film or not uh yes the when we used it in the falklands that was the same one i believe and then we've got a replica that we used in the scenes in this uh that we we did in uh in the yard in wow. uh, what was meant to be their backyard in government house yeah goodness me wow amazing uh, ian uh, do you have an alley tally pick well i i just the thing is the thing that, that i always remember because it was so striking anyway was getting on a plane that browsed norton aria plane which uh flew into uh, um into the falklands after a long long flight 17 hours or something where we'd stopped up at the ascension islands to to refuel and there was uh when we arrived, we were buzzed by two Japs either side of us that flew us in, extraordinary stuff. And then we arrived to be met by a very stern officer who told us immediately, do not go anywhere near the beaches because they are mine. <laughs> wow. And we thought, oh, well, we're not going to be doing any swimming at this time, are we? Let's <laughs> frankly, you know, to, you know, there's no sunbathing going on here, quite frankly. But it was it was a chilling chilling moment to know that actually it was still very much a sort of after all those mm. years five or six years it was still a quite a big war zone really Definitely. which we were which we were coming into and it was it was a stark reminder of really what had happened and why we were there mm. really interesting i think it, they i think it was just before christmas and matt might know more about it than me that i think they did just demine but, the entire island very recently 
But Stuart, <laughs> didn't didn't you knew something about that? That, that you you worked on a, a bit where it was mined and you well, didn't know. Is that right? We filmed the scenes that were set on York Bay, much nearer to Stanley, uh, where the Marines that were um, portrayed by Ian Embleton, uh, Aidan Gillen, and uh, Richard Graham were. Uh, we we had been assured by the government that. Uh, of, of the Falkland Islands that the uh, islands might, this particular beach was not mined or had been cleared. And we found out to our horror later that it had not been cleared and mined. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and at one point, my hat, in 50 mile an hour winds, my hat had blown off. Of course, obviously, we weren't filming right on this sort of section of the beach that would have been mined because we were back a bit. But my hat blew off mm. into nearer the sea. In other words, where landing craft would have landed. And that presumably, had it been still alive mines you know I, I was either lucky or they were wrong but mm. i mean it was pretty we you know the blood drained from your face when we found out later that wow in fact, that it, would have slowed production down had. somewhat i would imagine it would have been just a little just, bit just a touch just a touch there were signs the road the road sign weren't there lots of signs to warn you yes but yes yes there were and ian i'm sure when we went on our expeditions so, um I'm sure, I remember going over hill and down dale and all that kind of sort of quite freely rambling around. We did, we did, it's true. Yeah, and we went swimming one day. What was that like, swimming yeah. in the South Atlantic? Well, it was very peculiar. The climate was very odd because it would go from being very hot and sunny to being absolutely freezing in kind of like 10 minutes, it felt like. Yes. But um, it was very invigorating. Oh, we're definitely, really I assume so. <laughs> so, Robbie, what's your pick? Well, my, my alley tally moment, I've, I've timestamped it here in my notes. At one hour 33, um, I think it's Major Newt and, and, and Major Norman are talking to Rex about, you know, what, what could we do sort of thing. It's all sort of hit the fan by this point. The, the firefight's well and truly in. And they're in this tiny little room and it cuts to, to Dick Baker, Ian's character, and he's sort of looking you know, looking over at everyone else chatting and he's just reloading an SLR magazine and it's only a 10 second clip, Ian, but you look, you look so cool. I, I, I was saying to Matt in, when we were planning this episode, I said, you might think you're cool, but you're not Ian McNeese reloading an SLR magazine in the middle of a firefight cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good point you made there because uh, obviously that came from what they told me and, and in films of this kind you know magazines are never reloaded people always yeah. just have endless in fact it was a bloody task to mm. keep those it, there was so much f f firing that they it was difficult well i liked it because it it's obviously he's a civilian but he want he's the character's trying to help so you know him reloading magazines and, and passing them and passing them on is something that uh, troops in battle would would really find helpful you know it's i just i love that scene and i think ian you just you just look so cool in it you know <laughs> thank you i should remember that fondly thank you very much <laughs> it's my pleasure um, i've never looked every cool ever since quite oh frankly. no i think i think it was my cool days my cool you look, days <laughs> you look great as church you were great as Churchill in, in ah, Doctor Who. thank you very much i loved it no problem so matt what's your pick this week then um well Stuart's already mentioned um, the the stalings on the on the ridge, the suppressed stalings, the the um, the Mark Six stalings, and the 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 attack on Government House is really interesting because it's one of the few um, military engagements where stalings were used by both sides. 
So there were both um, L2A3 sailings in the Marines' hands and the, the naval hydrographers. And the, uh, the Argentine commandos were also armed with a mixture of um, suppressed and unsuppressed, the silenced and unsilenced um, sterlings as well. So that's, that's, I have two, so that's one. Um, that's me as the sterling uh, nerd just pro- popping up there. But my other Book available, one... Available, available in all good bookshops still. <laughs> but my other, my other um, pick is Ian Richardson, Rex Hunt's uh, Browning High Power. Which I think is is really cool because it's so, it's sort of like acts as Chekhov's gun almost throughout the whole film. Uh, Ian's handed the, the the pistol and he and he looks at it and he, it sort of like becomes a foil for his processing of what's going on. And that's that one good. of the things I like about Ian's uh, performance because you can you can tell he's thinking about what's going on. He sort of he, he takes the the uh, the pistol and he's thinking. I'm, I'm, this is, I'm not going to need this. This, this isn't going to be. We're not. We're not actually going to have a battle here. It's, it's absurd. And then as, as the night progresses, he, you know, you know, there's a couple of scenes where he's, um, he's seen brandishing it, and he looks down. At it. It's just before he's seen with Don, the groundskeeper. He's sort of realizing that this is actually. This, this might well happen. This might. We might have a battle. And then there's a great scene um, where the the Argentine commander comes in to discuss the you know the, the surrender, and he has it in the drawer, sort of like half open. He's thinking just in case. And then you know obviously Chekhov's gun sort of fulfills itself, and it, he hands it over as a you know a, the signal of surrender of, of both himself and the whole island. So I think that's really you know a really interesting sort of like prop for mm. the you know the development of, of um, Richardson's character because he's he's processing the night and this prop is, you know, aiding him. Yeah. And there's a great scene with you, Ian, where you, you wake him up, you knock on his door, you wake him up, walk in, and you turn the light on. And Governor Hunt, Ian Richardson's like aiming the gun at you. He's like, got you at gunpoint. And I think yeah. you're coming in to like discuss um, Reagan's attempt to talk the Argentines down and, you know, something yeah. like that. But that's my pick because I think it's a really interesting sort of like, yeah, well spotted. That's a good good symbolism. Yeah. One mm. thing that, um, that that I remember when I first saw the film, anyway, was the extraordinary thing, Stuart, that you did with special effects with the traces of the gunshots. Yeah, phenomenal. Which look extraordinary really on the good. screen. I really think that that is a, 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 and it was actually the first time I'd seen something like that, and it really did add to the power of the film. I think that I think that extraordinary about stuff. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, how was that film, Stuart? It was done, well, I'd always been, you know, remember this is before the days of any digital effects, right? So you were thinking, how would we do this? Because this is 1992 and um, I had seen a couple of lousy attempts in films to show Tracer Fire. So I went and I thought, let me me just see what it's really Mm. like, you know? So we were able to get along to a range and uh, a machine gun, I hid behind a, a big thick wall and I just wanted to hear, and the sound was also yeah. important to hear what the rounds were like flying past Tracer, um, you know, at various distances. And uh, so I could see what it really looked like. Uh, and then I filmed this test um, and um, showed it. To my designer, a great guy designed the film, well, there were two designers, the BBC one and the one from the real independent company, that got it, who was more of a real film guy, young guy, Steve Hardy, young at that time. Um, and um, Steve said, I know these people, the Cullies, a family of optical effects wizards, who in fact later went on to do the Bond oh, wow. films and are brilliant people. 
He said, we should shoot this on 35 millimeter, the battle scenes, and uh, they will copy your, I, I, you know, I got permission, I knew I had permission to fire outgoing tracer for real on the beach, the same beach where, which was mine, or possibly mine. Um, and uh, so we, we had a night scope and we made sure there were no fishing vessels and <laughs> the outgoing rounds from the, the GPMG were real. Um, and so it was much easier for them to say, okay, how should the rounds coming back look mm. like? Because they had an exact basis of how to do it. Obviously on the ridge at government house, there were no real rounds fired there, um, but they had the basis of actual 35 mil film to really trace how you would paint that onto the film as it was done. Yeah, all the stun grenades going off. and no, it's, it, very, it's very effective. Yeah, it's really powerful. Very effective. Even when you've got like the odd round sort of ricocheting and you see that the tracer ping off to the side, I really uh, adds to the realism. That's right. Mistake in most films, uh, which is you don't see where the tracer goes, it just flies. Mm. Um, And therefore, we saw that actually it flies everywhere. It was hitting the sea and shooting. That's what they uh, replicated. Oh, well. Well, that was a fantastic alley tally this week. I think think it's probably the, the. the top alley we've had so far on the on the podcast. One thing I would I would like to follow up on 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 the arms is, um, were 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 they provided by an armorer or how how involved was the MOD? Was there any sort of like help or was it complete pushback? I'll tell you a quick story. Yes, MOD issued a, a, a you know cease and desist order to all their units that there could be no help with this film. Wow. Um, uh, the government was definitely not keen on it being made. Um, which was ridiculous, really. Mm. But anyway, there you are. Um, even though it was the BBC, or maybe because it was the BBC. Um, and um, what happened was uh, we had an official armour at Baptiste, I think, with the armourers. I can't remember, or maybe BBC. Baptiste definitely provided Yeah, I can weapons. imagine so, yeah. We were the big sort of British film weapons company uh, for, for, for replica, or, you know, blank firing weapons. And they were very good. I've many times used them. And... Um, uh, the bigger hardware. So uh, in the Falkland Islands, obviously we had to have a license to bring stuff in, but uh, there were weapons there that we used, we were allowed to use for the FIDF and so on, the Falkland Islands Defence Force. Um, uh, I don't remember, Hugh, if you remember where your gun came from, your FN or whatever. What... No, I can, no, 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 I can't remember. Uh, but I, but I, from what I remember, the FIDF were allowed to, they decided to help us because it was nothing to do with the British government. They yeah. were their own bosses um, and the governor of the island was very helpful governor fullerton they were much more cooperative and so that's how certainly weapons on the island were obtained and how we 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 uh, did things there um, including even the vickers gun i think it appeared oh no maybe that was filmed in britain anyway they had a vickers gun wow. you know the old world war one machine wow, gun, yeah. which actually would have been quite effective yeah, it would have been. but i think mm, when really it was not used in action it was deployed i believe but mm. not used um and um uh the bigger hardware, in fact, a Royal Engineers team decided to help us against the rules in Surrey, where we did the armoured personnel carriers coming out of the war water, and they were from a collector, a Soviet, I think BTR-50s, whatever, the nearest we could get to the ones that uh, that didn't exist in Britain, right. the Amtraks mm. that the Argentinians used, and they came out of the water um, with the help of the Royal Engineers, which is just as well, because one of them broke down started to take on water and the crew jumped out um, and they had to uh, salvage oh, the dear. thing. 
So I think that brings us on to um, favourite scenes, favourite parts of the film. Um, Ian, would you like to kick us off if there's anything that you particularly love about the film? Uh, I just little follow-on things. That, I, I, I mean, because um, because we start off the film with him playing golf right yeah. at the beginning, I sort of stuck with this sort of image throughout the film. You'll see him yeah. playing mm. with his golf ball throughout the movie. So, so and, and that was one of the things that I wanted to sort of just get in the film and there's some nice moments underneath the table where, where he's still playing with it and bits and pieces like that. So I thought that that was quite a nice little follow on really. Gives the character some body, doesn't it? Yeah. Thinking yeah, like yeah, a golfer, yeah, yeah. how do I, how do I play this sort of scenario <laughs> as, a, as a, maybe like a golf scenario? That fits you know, into that I... whole sort of foreign office. Yeah, the dog did not run away with <laughs> Yes, of course, yes, uh, yeah. for viewers who haven't seen the film, it begins with uh, with Ian's character playing golf, and the dog, as happened, uh, ran onto the green and took away the ball, ran off the ball. Uh, yes. uh, yeah, great. Um, Hugh, um, it, well, of course, the Sterling submachine gun, but um, I also remember the evening. I think it was all the scenes with um, with Ian, because I'd always been a big fan of Ian's because we both mm. came from Glasgow. And uh, it, it was exciting just to work with him, actually, to be in the scene with him. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was, yeah. It's such yeah. a, it must have been such a treat. You know, I mean, I, the original House of Cards, my my parents rewatched it when I was young and I, I kind of didn't appreciate it because I was only like 10 or eight years old, something like that. But I recently rewatched a little few scenes. I'm like, it's fantastic. His delivery, the whole sort of breaking the fourth wall, I didn't think it'd been done very much yeah. beforehand it's just to to be no. in a room with with him i mean it must have it must have been a, an amazing experience you know yeah um i think yeah. it and you know you you play off him really well and you know i think all of you just i think it's just it's just such great performances i think um one of the things that uh that i always remember about him in fact is the fact because i worked with him before a few times and, and his wife had always come with him. I mean, she was his right-hand man. I mean, uh, I mean, so much so that if they were on location in the hotel room, she would have a little burner and she'd, you know, do little post eggs on toast for him so he wouldn't have to have the, you know, the, 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 the food out That's or fantastic. had to go to a restaurant, something like that. And it was, and, 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 and so it was the real tragedy when she wasn't allowed to mm. come to the Falklands. So he was on his own totally and he was lost completely lost without and so to actually if you look back on him having to cope with that and then doing the film the way he did it was an extraordinary mm. achievement because he he was he was completely mm. lost without her uh, it was very um moving that side of him i mm. thought yes i remember he sort of retired to his room a lot of the time and but i remember him in the bar yeah. of one of the somewhere having drinks one night and then he sat on a stool and regaled us all with amazing tales of of his former glory at the RSC. Oh, yeah, um, totally, uh, totally, uh, but he was, totally. Yeah, very, and Rosemary Leach was very, very good with him and kind of... Um, mm. I have just, uh, just a quick story about Bob and I uh, when we worked at the RSC, oh. just a quick one, which was um, I was uh, with him when his father came down from Yorkshire because Bob is very store Yorkshireman, but his father was trebled that. And he came to see him play, uh, play in Othello uh, Bob Peck played Iago, uh, and I was with him after the show when, when his father, because he came to stay with us, and his Bob asked him what he thought about the show. 
at his performance, and his father turned to him and said, the seats were a bit hard. <laughs> and that really summed up actually where Bob came from. Yeah. So, I mean, Bob, who was very dour himself, but that's, that's what his life was like. Yes. <laughs> yes. Extraordinary, extraordinary stuff. He's phenomenal yeah. in the film. Like yeah, he's great. Ian, yeah, Ian and Bob are, are amazing in the film. They're they're perfect for the roles and they they embody it beautifully. And I I mm. enjoy all of the scenes that you guys are in with them. Um, so it's yeah. it's a real pleasure to like hear what what it was like to to act you know off off each other. And Ian and I, of course, continued our military adventures together a couple of years later because we did went to the Crimea to do Sharp. Oh, yes, we did. And, yes, um, uh, Matt's a big fan. I am. Fun. That's another another day that another story. stretched on like a mud flat in front of us for Crimea. <laughs> I remember that very, yeah. very well. I think actually it was more challenging than the yes, Falklands. It was indeed. Good God alive. <laughs> Why do we do this, you? <laughs> no, uh, anything you, f- favourite part? Uh, I suppose uh, uh, I, I want to pick like three emotional moments. In Good. The Please do. I feel... Uh, encapsulate the war actually because you know ultimately this is about real events and real people and i say i would choose uh this scene when the argentine fleet is sailing towards the battle uh towards the invasion uh, which we filmed on hms belfast in the tents ah, uh, i wondered we were, well, that's uh, really interesting quite similar vessel actually to many mm. of the ones the argentines had that were post world war ii or around world war ii and um and then when uh, Bussar gives the uh, big speech and they all kneel down for the blessing of the priests, which actually happened. And, I, and uh, then Ave Maria plays and you have this incredible stillness as we pan across the actual, you know, the harbour at Stanley mm. and all these people about to have their lives completely upheld, uh, upturned and some of them killed. Some of the islanders were killed a few, but a few too many, mm. you know. Um, and this wonderful little community and the, uh, the, the Ave Maria and then cutting to their folk music, you know, mixing their folk music to me was like, that was the essence of what war is about. You know, it's about disruption and destruction of, of, of people's lives yeah. and religion and belief, you know, and what they all believed in. And secondly, I would say the moment when uh, the governor is taken away, is dispatched having lost the battle the islands are occupied and the, the taxi goes off bearing Governor Hunt away. And we were all actually, uh, certainly Ian, you were there. Everyone was crying when we filmed it. Yes, yeah, it's exactly. Really emotional to remember because a lot of people yeah. had really seen that. Yeah. You'd really seen that. And they were actually crying for real because they had cried the first yeah. time. Yeah. I remember Alex, you know, Alex Norton, who played the, the policeman. Ronnie, Another Ronnie. terrific performance. He was weeping. I mean, a lot of us were, were you know, mm. <laughs> there, were, there wasn't a dry eye filming that scene. No, it was mm-hmm. very powerful scene. And, and actually, everyone loved the scene because it was, again, the silly taxi driving off, the Argentine shouting, you know, drive on, drive on the yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, idiots, you know. It, it, it epitomised what, you know, national control is and what values are mm. and also destruction of a community for no real reason, you know. Um and yeah, finally, if I can have a quick third moment, because it's it really happened, was when Major Norman's character, having retaken the island, found Gilbert the spy in there among the prisoners of war, and they had this big look. Yes, in that montage at the end is yeah, it's quite something. It's powerful. Valerio Saturno, I think, played Gilbert very good, and and Bob, and they had this great look, mm. you know. 
isn't this shit you know what all of this is about you know so, so i think uh, um uh, one of the memories i have is, is talking to major norman the real major mm. norman to hear that actually when they did get back to england they arrived back in england and they were taken immediately to number 10 downing street and it was there that major norman refused to shake the hand of margaret thatcher wow, wow. Because of what she'd done and that was a very very telling moment mm. when he told us all about wow. that. Wow, of course, you're right. I totally forgotten that, which mm. I didn't put in the film because, you know, I didn't want, I wanted it to be about the community. It had that- You didn't want to bring politics into unit. it. Mm. it also, people, I remember people said, why didn't you show the government? I said, why? Because either government, I mean, why should we? It's like, you know, we wanted to show that community yeah. and what it was to be there at that time. The personal aspect of war, not the social political aspect of it i think exactly. this is what war does to people ordinary people who are all ordinary people in the story mm. uh, uh you know it is imposed from above therefore i didn't want to see the above of course you know? and there's been but, countless things about the, the political aspect of it so i think to have a more personable grounded yes, exactly. view of the conflict especially the start of it which always gets overlooked but it was it was extraordinary that they were completely left mm. alone they were left alone to their own devices and what they did on that island that night yes. was was an amazing time it really was and of course had there been a massacre had had the you know had the Argentines decided to shoot straight into the house all the time um you know or kill i mean you know i'm sure the government would have fallen and then mm. this film would have been very different yeah very yeah, very different very matt uh, i think i think my favorite is actually mike norman's cameo on the football field where where he plays an FDIF? <laughs> yeah, that is that is good. Um, and I, I I think I think that's great. He's he's so like he's he's lying there with an with another member of the FDIF who's eating. He's you know he's got his pat lunch out. He's having his sandwiches and he's got his flask next to him. Um, and the you know the 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 Marines that have come from the beach are sort of like fighting their way back through Stanley. And does they, he have a number four Liam? He does. Right? He has a number four yeah. Liam, yeah, yeah. which is great. Accurate, accurate weapon as used by the FDIF. That's right. Um, and you know, he says, are you coming with us? And he said, no, we'll, but we'll cover you though. You know, and then they don't cover them at all. <laughs> so. Just looking ama looking sheer amazement at these lads. That's what Mike, that's what Mike told me happened. Amazing. So. But that's, that's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. And the fact that he, he decided he wanted to be on camera was, was, is something I think is, is special because, you know, mm. it must've been amazing to have him there as the military advisor. It was, it was, it was, it was. For all of us, for all of us. I mean, a really good bloke, you know. And in fact, Bob and he stayed in touch with each other quite a lot after the show as well. He saw he saw quite a bit of each other after that. Oh, time. he must have been happy with how Bob sort of portrayed him then. That's yeah, amazing. Exactly. I mean, well, my my other interest uh, is, is the FDIF, and the portrayal of them is interesting, Stuart. In that, um, in your production diary, you know, you talk a little bit about how. You wanted to be a, a little bit more critical, perhaps, of you know the fact that they they didn't get as involved as as they might have done. But obviously, in hindsight, we have that whole aspect of you know the governor was probably thinking about well, I want to. They are civilians almost, and you know, if they were to be you know injured or killed in the battle, then it would probably be a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare, a bit of a disaster. Uh, and a waste of, of life because they obviously weren't professional soldiers. But yeah, I was I was just wondering as a, as an offshoot of you know what was it like working with the FIDF 
as extras and you know within um you know the filming on the island the production unit on the island and then also sort of like portraying them at the same time you know i sat there i mean like i went there on an original recce uh i think i made contact with them then in november before the filming in march um and you know i i, I sort of interviewed people i found out more right. this and that happened the island the commander of the fidf what was that by that time i think had died i don't think i was able to interview right. him the actual chap who sets you know, so, so there was a conflicting opinion about whether they were ordered onto the ridge or not. You know, um, Governor Hunt said he did order them onto the ridge. They said they weren't ordered. That hence I cover that balls yeah. up moment in the phone when they phone. And well, who knows? In the fog of war, what really mm. happened? In a way, obviously, it's a miracle they weren't there because yeah. they would have all been killed. You know, against those special forces, that would have yeah. been. Yeah, mm. you know. number fours against um, Argentine commandos wouldn't have been. A fair fight, no. I don't think. <laughs> they, they were heavily armed, though, that unit. Um, so, uh, I, 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 of course, it was delicate because, you know, the fact is that, I mean, they didn't engage the enemy and, and, and one might have expected to, but equally, I certainly wouldn't have if I'd been there, you know, I probably wouldn't have. So I, I was trying to just portray ordinary people, you know, very young mm -hmm. and older ones. And, of course, the people who were in the FIDF who had more military, some of the Royal Marines, ex-Marines, like Jim Fairfield, did yeah. go and actually fully fight at Government House. So um, we we tried to show, obviously there was actual civil resistance, you know, smashing up the beacons at the airfield. Um, they did they did do what they could, but equally it was very, you know, remember, you only had a number of hours really to prepare. Of course, yeah. And uh, I don't think anyone blamed them. I mean, it was, no. people say, oh, you made fun of them as well i made fun of everybody if you hadn't noticed in the film yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody gets their leg pulled um you know uh, there's fun at had at the expense of everyone but that doesn't mean mm. you know that it's a, a critical no. portrait i mean i don't think you can blame um civilian volunteers for for being scared of of going into combat i mean i don't think you can be yeah. you can be critical of anybody being scared of going into combat so I think it's if, if people who might think it's an unfair portrayal, I think they need to sort of maybe relook at how yeah. people actually feel when they're told they yeah. might go into a, yeah. a life or death situation. So I think uh, Mike, you know, I think we dealt with Mike Hanlon of the, of the, who was the current commander at that yeah. time. No, they were very cooperative, very open, you know, did everything as far as I know was accurate. Of course, they were all, you know, not portrayed as total heroes, then might have questions, but, there was no general outcry about it at all. I think we had more trouble about the fact I recreated a sign saying quarter sheep, please, for the butcher, spelled S-H-E-P-E. -E. <laughs> um, you know, and people thought, oh, I was mocking them. But, I, I, you know, I present things as I find them. Mm. I actually loved all those people. Yeah. I didn't say they were stupid or anything no. like that. No, I don't. I don't get that from the film. Before. Yeah, I mean, some people criticise, you know, that that brilliant scene at the beginning where the lady's taking her sheep for a walk, and and I've seen people say, well, why 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 does the film make them out as being, you know, hicks? You mentioned in your diary that 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 was, you know, she did take a yeah the sheep for a walk. She yeah. really did. And the woman who did it was a woman who'd lost her son in the war, had come to live in the islands, a Welsh guard's mother, and it was actually very meaningful to her to have some fun and, 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 and show what was good and fun. And 
original about life on the island that you could have a sheep yeah. as a pen mm. and take it for a walk. So I, that certainly wasn't meant as criticism no, at all. Not at all. No, I think I think perhaps people go into expecting something tonally different. They might go into expecting a full fledged yes, exactly. docudrama about the war. Exactly. Which is the normal yeah, British it, indeed. And that's not the case with Ungentleman Act. You can imagine if Ken Lynch had done the war, it would have been a bloody miserable oh God, film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Powerful, but quite depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Probably, probably a very good film. Yeah, Alice, Alice and Stedman would have been in it, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> not, not, yeah she, she is Mavis, as Mavis, yeah. I'll just quickly <laughs> say my one of my favourites is more of a sequence, um, but it's, it's this is more from like a, a, a movie viewer sort of uh, angle, but I love the nighttime battle scenes purely for the lighting the the tightness of the the shots and things like that it really is mm. it's very visceral yeah. it's very quick you're not quite sure if you're ever seeing like were they Argentinian or were they Royal Marines I'm not quite sure you know how many men are there how many men are there up on the ridge you feel like as I said earlier you feel like you're behind a wall with an SLR waiting to pop up and, and take a few shots it's I mean I whoever did the the the, the, the lighting on that sequence I mean I think it's it's, it's really good Chapman, a very good cameraman, a very kind of old guard BBC cameraman. who was great, mm. a really good guy. He didn't, you know, he didn't, I don't think he's done, he did a lot of big dramas after that at all. Mm. But that was, I think he, he was lovely. Uh, it's just really, I just think it's such a triumph, those those little, those scenes, you know, they're, they're so, they're a small part, not a small part of the film, but they're not, you know, the, they don't have to be as good as they are. If, if, and that's not a criticism, but no, so, it's, I just think for a film, for a BBC movie, 91 92 sorry um it's it's up there with this like you know pick a a, a really popular war from like same pirate ryan it's up there in that if you cut that in to other movies uh, i feel like people would be like well that's you know that's very clever yeah you know well uh, peter chang did a great job and uh, by the yeah. way the close-ups in the rocks they're all in the studio they were shot oh really wow yeah because it was so tough in that rainstorm and in the falcon's wind to shoot that we couldn't get all the stock shots on the rocks so uh, some of us behind the rocks mm. all that talk on the radio in spanish was behind was in the yeah. studio and it's just the shots from inside government house when everyone's taking cover and things like that it's very i like the framing of every i like just most shots i just think it's just a beautifully framed movie um yes. and, and everyone's sort of everyone's putting in 110 percent. no one's chewing the scenery no one's there for a paycheck it doesn't feel like that anyway um, I just think it's such a it's such a triumph of a of a film. You know, I can't say anything more. Really, it's just. Well, I think I think my one of my biggest, one of the most gratifying things was that people come back to me and say I was there. You know, and this was this was really what it was mm. like, including uh, one of the Argentines who was injured in the vegetable wow, patch. Wow! Wow! The three bullets yeah. were met uh, fifteen years later or something at a seminar about the Falklands. And he said, well, you know, apart from you putting on moustache on me, he was exactly like that. <laughs> you know, uh, it, so that was a big compliment. Yeah. I thought. Well, you can't do better than that, can you? No. I mean, that's, that's terrific. <laughs> I mean, that really is. Yeah. One thing I would add to that nighttime sequence is um, Bob Peck's portrayal of Major Norman's sort of like moment of freezing up a little bit. I think that's very yes. powerful. That's a very good scene. Mm. Um was did he did he discuss that with Mike? Was that was that how Mike saw yeah, yeah, it? it? Came from, I, I did ask Mike. You know, was there a moment that you? Yeah, 
you know, because other people say, oh, he walked down the corridor, bullets were flying through the wall, you know, those clapboard walls, he didn't duck. But, you yeah. know, they definitely happened that moment by the cannon with uh, Matthew Ashford playing um, uh, the Marine bodyguard, you know, his sidekick. Uh, and, you know, the, where they were there at that cannon where it happened. It's, wow. it's really powerful. And it's it's, yep. it's amazing that it's a testament to Major Norman's credit that he f- he felt honest enough to to share that, you know, that moment of yeah. Um, yeah. of of doubt, mm. of, you know, fear. No, also shows the, hum- the human aspect of, of war as well again you know you you know people do freeze people do have moments of of fear and i don't think it's it's not something to be shied away from um i think certain not you know i'm not picking any movies out in particular but certain newer movies try and try and portray the actors as infallible people um yes but you know it, it's something that i think we need to do more in film is actually show humans as being human beings in in, in battle you know it's not natural for someone to be shooting hot bits of lead at you um, and your, your reaction in those moments mm. should be shown as they were shown because you owe it. Well, you owe it to the, the people who lost their lives, but you also owe it to the real people who've experienced that moment. It's powerful stuff. It really is. Thank you all so much for, for joining us to chat about the thank, film. Thank you. Uh, I've enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I really appreciated all of your thoughts and input and, you know, yeah. stories about filming and, and what it was like. Mm-hmm. We've really, we really yeah. appreciate you coming on. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Bye, lads. Keep well, keep safe. All the best. Thank you Bye very now. much. Thank Bye-bye, you everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, guys. Be sure to leave a like, uh, comment, review, on whatever platform that you're listening to and subscribe there as well so you hear future episodes of Fighting on Film. Big thank you to our executive producer, Katie McGuire, for helping with the show. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.